Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into our both most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to round out Arc 14 Cine DA by taking a look at The Interlude, a history's interlude with our main man Faisal. <laughs> um, yeah, so this interlude begins with Faisal kind of... I, I don't think it's confirmed that he's hovering, but in fact, it's probably confirmed that he's not hovering, but I just kind of pictured him hovering over this kind of tundra water bay area as he uh, thinks about the world. Yeah, I think it's one of those xenofictiony things where like Faisal perceives the area he's in very differently to a human does. Yeah. So it's almost like I view him as ha- still having like a central point of consciousness but like, or, or a, cent- a central point as which at which he's viewing the area he's in, which isn't necessarily where his body is. Like his body might just be on the ground somewhere, but he's kind of like he's centered his sight, like you know, thirty meters in the air. Maybe that's just my human way of like passing how he perceives the area. Well, he sees himself as above everyone and everything else, so I think it's natural to, <laughs> to take that perspective. Yeah, because I mean, uh, like. It's unclear exactly when this little snippet is set. Um, yes, it it does give you these kind of like Garden of Eden vibes, but actually it must be a bit later than that because Faisal seems to be noting things like global warming taking place, right? Well, I actually wondered if it's at the end of the Ice Age. That was sort of that was how I reconciled the fact that I wanted it to be really ancient against the fact that those clues would seem to suggest it's fairly recent. So yeah. I agree. It, it could be either. Um, I, I'm just going with the the more ancient one because I want it to be. Um, and, and because essentially, like this is Faisal. It, it feels like this is the point where Faisal's become intelligent, like in in the mm. fairly recent past. Like th- that's basically what this whole little section is about. So him him sort of reflecting on the fact that humanity has brought intelligence uh, to the world, and that's impacting everything from angels and and demons and and like that's that's you know the very essence of humanity is defined from Faisal's perspective is change and i mean we see that humanity is not only changing the world we're changing the angels and the demons like that's how far yes. deep our, our our influence goes um yeah and, it's pretty wild to think isn't it yeah uh and, and we see kind of what Faisal it, like this is this is the the gap between Faisal being kind of humanity's little bitch that he is later on um and and when he was like a grand creator back in the good old days because here he's just kind of mending some streams and and it, it i don't know if it quite feels like the creation that he maybe used to do it, it feels like he's just trying to fix things and balance and it's the start yeah. of that transition to just um you know becoming kind of someone who just maintains what humanity fucks up yeah um yeah, he definitely gives this vibe of he used to be like a big shot, whatever, but now he's kind of tending the garden rather than having any real agency over it. Um, the whole first half of this chapter is about really Faisal ruminating on humans. And this yeah. first section starts off with Faisal. He doesn't express it so concretely, but you definitely get the vibe of him just showing disdain for mankind. Like... He he really kind of sees them as brutish agents of change, which considering if you if you saw humans when they were like, you know, chimpanzees and then something more than chimpanzees and then cavemen, it would probably be pretty hard to shake the notion that they were just brutish. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it it 
it's really interesting how his perception of humanity kind of warps and shifts over this first half of this chapter. I think it's fine to look at humanity now and still see them as kind of brutish, to be sure. honest. Um, it, yeah, no, you're right. He, um, he's, he, he doesn't have emotions. Like that's something that the chapter sort of makes very clear to us, even, even at the end in the modern day, yeah. he, he's not an emotional being, but that doesn't make him immune to having biases and opinions, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, ba- based on, based on information. Like, I don't, it's like, yeah, he's not motivated by emotion, but he definitely can get kind of he can hold a grudge. Is kind of the impression I'm getting. I don't know. Maybe it's actually fair because um, yeah. I mean, what 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 this really establishes is this whole idea of as we sort of touched on the the angels were the creators and you know basically gods, and they were maintaining what they kind of saw as this pretty perfect world. Yeah, and then humanity's kind of taken over, and we've made let's be honest, especially in the world of Pact, a bunch of noticeably shit decisions. Um, <laughs> he attributes many bad others and even some of the demons to humanity. So it's like, I think it's kind of fair to be, you know, have once been basically a god and now you've sort of been demoted and replaced by someone who's just doing kind of an objectively shit job and yeah. now your job is to clean up their messes. Like, of, <laughs> yeah. course, of course you're going to be pissed. Yeah, um, I think it probably also is a little bit of the fact that um if you're not that uh you know if you're not a sentient being if you if you're an angel and you haven't gained some form of intelligence as Fezal describes angels gaining from you know humanity existing i think it would be a lot easier to be happy in your position the more you start thinking the more you're going to make yourself unhappy so <laughs> humans probably screw themselves over a bit by making ancient angels sentient yeah, well, it's interesting how early on in this chapter it's described as a symbiotic relationship, the sort of intelligence sharing and the angels fixing up the world. And that's very much not the impression we get in the second chunk in yeah. the modern day, where it really just kind of feels like angels are just kind of scrambling to minimize the damage. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, so I guess the only other thing I just quickly wanted to bring up from this first section is... I, I I love the insight we get. We already touched on this, like the Xenofiction-y stuff of like just the way Faisal is this, you know, he's not tied to form. He's almost just this presence and the way he's connected to everything in the environment. It, yeah. it's, it's just really cool setting him up as something very other. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird perspective. I found his point of view quite hard to pin down, actually, because it does... Yeah. It is this, apart from maybe Ur's um, interlude, it's probably the most xenofictiony one we've had. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Like, and and I mean that makes sense. Uh, you know, back in the day, the the demons and the hu- and the angels, sorry, were the antitheses of each other. So they're also probably yeah. similar in a lot of ways. It's like Blake and Rose. Yeah. Um, something else I liked from this first little snippet is Faisal sees the world is going to end, and and later on it's. It seems a bit ambiguous whether humans are causing the world to end or staving it off, but Faisal at this point seems to think that humans are going to be directly leading to the end of the world, which again would color your perception of them. <laughs> yes, and um, we'll have more to talk about this when Harith comes in yes. in a little bit, I reckon. Um, so I'll save I'll save my comments from from there. Cool. There. Let's jump ahead. We jump to what is conceivably the modern day, or the modern day, maybe. T- five to ten years before the story is set. 
Um, mm. Faisal is looking over a bustling kind of city or town street and thinking about his relationship with mankind as he kind of tends to this garden that he does. Yeah, and I think the first thing this section does is hit us again with that sense of uh, how other Faisal is. Like, it establishes more about how he perceives the world. Uh, he talks about how, like, just the sun hitting, like, a forest was, like, this cacophony of stuff. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's sort of like he he's so aware of everything that he's around that things, just simple interactions, like light hitting stuff, is stuff that he becomes sort of aware of. And now he's on this street and he starts to wonder if humanity's going to kill him just by existing because there's so many people on this street, it's kind of overwhelming to him. And, and that starts to set this stage, as well as establishing cool Xenofiction-y perception stuff. It starts to set the stage of how much the angels are just scrambling and just trying to keep up with humanity at this stage. Yeah, I... This isn't ever explicitly said by Faisal or Harith, but I really do get the perception that humans are kind of replacing the angels, right? As in, the something Harith says later on is that um, humans are have gotten to a point where they're actually able to manage their own balance now. Um, you know, d- depending on what you think, we <laughs> might not be a great, doing a great job of it, but it's in our capability at least. And this this makes me feel like the the reduction in power and domain that Faisal has is because humans are just kind of taking over what would traditionally be an angel's responsibility. And thinking about that, I also it kind of made me think that that probably is happening with demons too. Like the trajectory of this world is probably for humans to just start supplanting the chaos, but also the balance that angels and demons used to be responsible for. Well, I guess if you think about it, presumably the old balance was angels create, demons destroy. Yes. And now humans are changing, is is sort of what's established. And we're just changing so many things all at once, so damn often, that the angels aren't creating anymore. They're just scrambling to maintain because there's nothing to build. Like By the time they get a handle on something to build off of, it's already changed by us, is is sort of the impression I get. Mm. Whereas I think... I think it's different for demons because demons just destroy and they don't care if it's changing. They'll destroy it anyway. Like who gives a fuck? So, and I think that's why like Faisal starts to talk, or is it Harith? One of them starts to talk later about um, how they think demons will be poised to take the world once humans wane. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's why it's because the demons don't care what they're destroying. They're just happy to destroy. Whereas the angels sort of need some stability to create off of. Yeah. Look, I don't know. I I see that perspective, but I'm kind of reluctant to buy into the perspectives that come from the Faisal or demons as the old guard. You know, like mm. this whole this whole story. There's been clear distinction between okay, what angels do is pure creation, and what demons do is pure destruction, and what anything else does is just changing it. But that's kind of been subverted a number of times in the story, right? I remember we got that point. Uh, where we were, it was in it was in Ur's interlude where things were. We were talking about destroying, and I think it was there was a bit in maybe Black Lamb's Blood that mentioned, oh, when demons destroy, there might be some stuff that you think is left behind, but that's actually just us struggling to understand and comprehend the void that's left behind. I don't know. That kind of just feels like old world propaganda. <laughs> like <laughs> creation and destruction are just different forms of change, and 
angels and demons setting themselves as, oh no, we're different and better and more powerful in the way that we do this is, I don't know, just feels like bullshit to me. I'm very prosciant yeah, in maybe. this perspective. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously the other argument is demons have been the victims of humanity in their own way because most of the big demons are now like chained yes. up, right? So it's kind of like, well, the angels have been nerfed by just needing to maintain the world while humans wreck it. The demons have been nerfed by the fact that the humans don't like destruction of the stuff they're changing, so they've like tied them up. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, either way, I, I agree. I, I'm curious to see where we go, but obviously, there's people like Ornius and stuff hanging around, and whoever the lawyers are, are working for. So it does. It doesn't seem far fetched to me that there is some great demon conspiracy uh, in the in the background somewhere. Yeah, I, I guess that's what we're setting up for the story, right? Is we've got seemingly quite a moderate angel i guess in Faisal, and a moderate to powerful demon in barbatorum and they're obviously going to be set up as the hey we're the forces of creation and destruction opposing the humans and we'll see what happens mm. um um yeah 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 let's uh let's get back to Faisal in the chapter um <laughs> so one of the first things we see Faisal do here is he messes with this rat population uh he basically causes some pedestrians to go a slightly different way on the footpath, which causes part of the footpath to slow down, which slows down access for garbage trucks, which is going to lead to increased rat populations, which is going to lead to more others coming in, which is going to lead to a bit of a other conflict, which is going to lead to some practitioners doing stuff. It's like a huge chain of events happening. But really what he can uh, does in his mind is messes with rat populations in order to get some others to come around. This was so interesting to me on a reread because this is exactly what Johannes does to get this weird fairy that he has later. It was yeah, just yeah. a fun little piece of synchronicity that I quite liked. No, that's a that's a fantastic little connection, absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the other thing it does is is set up Faisal as a fucking master planner, uh, mastermind. Yeah. This is maybe slightly minor worm spoilers here, but he really started to remind me of the Simurg. Like, it's so... He's such a, he describes himself as a planner, which I think is an understatement because he's planning like <laughs> 30 steps ahead in the way that, you know, only really supervillains of like the Batman can do where they meticulously <laughs> plan out every step to the minor detail. Um, it's pretty incredible. And it, it sets up the idea that he's not just like magically powerful. He actually is tactically scary to go up against. Yeah, and obviously, like, because the final part of his plan, after the practitioners are meant to wipe out the goblins and/or other monsters, is um to come and check on the practitioners in a year to make sure they haven't grown too powerful. Yeah, he, like he has a sort of plan for them, but you know, he's like he's got all his contingencies and the follow-up plan. Um, and I, I think this is really interesting because this isn't something he would have been able to do before humanity stepped in, right? Like he. Right. I would assume, and maybe maybe this is my human propaganda coming through, that um, this is the sort of intelligence that wouldn't have been available to him before he got the intelligence of humans. So, like, a, a huge part of his being is his presence as a planner, and I don't know that he would have had that before. Yes, that's interesting. It makes sense. Um, it makes sense that this is the kind of human level of thinking that he's now gained. Something else I like about this is just it shows how willing he is to use everything, human, humans, others, whatever, mm. just as a tool to to do his, yeah. his goal. Like, he's just willing to have anybody be a part of his kind of cosmic chain. Well, yeah, man, you know, 
stay tuned for more <laughs> for more direct examples of that with Johannes, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so Faisal meets with his brother Harith, another angel who has come with a mission for him. Um, there's this little town near Toronto, and some funky stuff's going down. Where could that be? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think what this really establishes that I I don't know if I quite knew or uh, forgotten or whatever, but Barbatorum was actually Faisal's main mission here. Like, you know, Barbatorum is listed first and and kind of yeah. seems like the bigger one and is really one of the main reasons he's been called in. So kind of, it's like Johannes is actually just meant to be the afterthought. And so this is sort of where it all clicks into place and you can see why he's using Johannes like this because it's it's a two birds one stone plan situation. Yes, yeah, it's interesting. I, it makes me think. I wonder what his compatriots, what Harith would think of the way this ends up going down. Like making a deal with the demon in the short term to get it dealt with in the long term. Is that something that's genuinely or generally kind of accepted by angels as a good way to do things? Or I kind of wonder if this is in their playbook or not. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Or if it's like common in because I think I think it's established Faisal's the seventh choir here. Yeah. Uh, is it is it more accepted for seventh choir uh, choir angels than like the third choir angels would be like what? No, you can't. Yeah. But it's like these abstract, you know, cleverer seventh uh, choir ones that are a bit like no, it's worth it in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we'll get that answered over the course of the story. We'll see. Um, yeah. So something else that I thought was interesting here was Harith talks more with Faisal about, about humanity and their relationship to humanity. And they talk about the idea that angels shouldn't meddle with humanity, more or less. Um, and they talk more about what humankind is and what they've been up to lately. And it seems not contradictory to what Faisal was thinking before, but not the same. It seems like they're, they're, they haven't really been able to pin down like humans as a, as a concept, it seems. Yes. Uh, in fact, I, I just want to read out the quote because it's it's mm. so good. Uh, so he says, <clears throat> We must ignore humans and look to balance. Stability. If the demon's destruction is analog to our creation, then stability is the balm to mankind's change. Mm. And like this, this so encapsulates that sense of this transition that angels have gone through from creators that oppose demons, the destroyers, to just maintainers who oppose <laughs> the the change and the chaos of humans yeah um and so it's kind of like before demons were their antithesis and arguably their enemy um although they seem to kind of have mixed opinions on how much they were dealing with that uh and but now now hu- humanity has actually kind of entered the role as the angels opposition um like you know they they now think of themselves or, or you know at least this one does think of themselves as opposing what humanity is doing which Mm. is obviously a huge sort of shift in the balance of the whole universe yeah you know this is maybe potentially quite a nerdy analogy to make but i'm just going to go with it just so just bear with me for a second It, it reminds me of Angels are the developers of a complex system, a, a, like an information software system kind of thing. And yep. they've been working on this system for a while, and it, and it launches, it goes public, and they start getting users, starts becoming a live platform. In this case, that's humanity, right? Humanity is the live platform. Mm-hmm. And the developers realize they can't handle all the things that their users are doing, and they go from developing new features to just constantly having to fix bugs and manage their live <laughs> project. And they are kind of... They eventually just are now 
buried under the weight of their technical debt that they've built up for themselves, which means the only real solution, as any good engineer will tell you, is you've got to start refactoring that code and redesign it, man, <laughs> which means it's time for the old ways to die. But I think the angels yep. aren't, they they can't let go of their old spaghetti code legacy system yet. <laughs> no, well, you don't, you don't understand, Ruben. It's actually really elegant. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If no, only like there that. weren't and... users in it, it would be so elegant. Um. I feel like in this analogy, then demons are hackers. Is yeah, that, I don't know what, de- what demons are. <laughs> demons are just uh, I don't know anarchy in the system. You know, server downtime, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the demons are bugs in like the the framework that you're using. Mm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um, let's move on before this becomes the whole episode. Or <laughs> how how much can we extend that metaphor out? I wonder. <laughs> Um, Isadora is a button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. She's a kind of uh, an interface for people to access the system through. <laughs> um, anyway, so we jump yeah. forward. <laughs> we jump forward again, um, and now we see Johannes is about to begin his domain ritual, but uh, somebody, Faisal, stops him. Uh, yes, and, and so obviously now for basically the rest of the chapter, yeah, we switch to Johannes's perspective. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like this because this starts to establish that this is a history's interlude for both of them. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, it, like, it it works better for these segments from Johannes's perspective because it's much more interesting to see him kind of struggle and, and scrap things together and, like, he's, he's just a much f- more fun perspective to see these scenes from. Uh, but I think it also works in the, in the more narrative sense because we're getting a better idea of both of them because I think... Faisal's obviously our big bad now, and that's why we started with him. But yeah. Johannes is going to be pr- presumably pretty key going forward because he's the one who knows Faisal. He's the one who has fought him before. And, uh, I mean, you know, they they share a lot of power and stuff. So, uh, like, I think it's important, just almost as important that we get a lot of understanding of Johannes as well as Faisal. Yes. Uh, so, obviously, sometimes we have interludes which are from multiple perspectives, so that could totally be what's happening here. But considering the way this chapter ends and the fact that our next arc is titled Possession, I kind of want to think that potentially this is just Faisal's perspective. Not necessarily that he's possessing Johannes in these moments, but we find out that this was his plan all along, right? Or that this was where he wanted to end up. And so I kind of see how these middle sections where we're in, air quotes, Johannes' perspective are what Faisal wanted to happen anyway. Um, and so potentially we're not in Johannes's perspective, or not just in Johannes's perspective, but in Faisal's perspective through Johannes as well. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is sort of a distant third-person perspective, so mm. it, yeah, it could be. Um, so when we see Johannes, he's got two boogeyman, a food dog guardian, whatever that, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, no, right? <laughs> a ghost and a fairy with a great rat pelt. Um, so I was looking at this and thinking, two boogeyman is interesting. And I was I was kind of thinking, did we know any boogeyman that were aligned with Johannes? And were there any that we recognised from later in the story? Or are these just two unnamed boogeymen? I think I think that's a fun th- a fun thought. It could be the pizza pizza revenant uh, and uh, faceless woman. It's probably it's probably not, but um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's fun to think. I mean, the the thing that really jumped out to me is the following line after that list of others he currently has in his pocket is um, he describes them as help that was borrowed, bought, and coerced. 
Mm. And I was sort of, and I just went back up to the list and was trying to figure out which one I think is which. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. What did you, what did you end up? Oh, there's nowhere near enough information to really know. I mean, I think the fairy is coerced, right? Yes, yeah, we get enough about the fairy to know, but you know, for for bought, like you know, maybe the go- maybe he bought the ghost. Or the someone. dog guardian, kind of yeah, buying exactly. its you know, service. The boogeyman might have been uh, borrowed from the abyss, mm. still clinging onto that desperate idea that he owes a debt to the abyss. Although <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm vastly up, like lowering the amount I think of debt he's in, but anyway. Yes. Um, anyway, so uh, we we kind of get more characterization of Johannes from his own perspective here, which is kind of much needed, considering the only real interactions we've had with him are through Blake or Mags. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he very immediately establishes himself as being anti-convention, anti-tradition, really wanting things to change. Yes, uh, big Vla- yeah, big Blake vibes right yeah. about here for me. Um, yeah, essentially, this whole section is just establishing that, uh, Johannes thinks the system is fucked, uh, and he wants to do something to, to fix it. Yeah. Um, and that something is putting together his, uh, other theme park, I guess. Um, Yes. Well, nature reserve, less, more than a theme park. Um, anyway, so. It could be both. You could have a theme park nature reserve. Yeah, why not? Um, so Johannes runs from Faisal (laughs) so Johannes runs away from Faisal leading him through a series of traps to try and take him down uh yeah and so this this is during their second encounter um and and I love how it sort of opens with Johannes asking like a bunch of leading questions like he's he's done his research and he's just trying to verify it he kind of verifies that Faisal's an angel and he's not in the third choir which was his first guess um it's just it's just really sort of fun to see this kind of scrappy johannes um you know to borrow this arc's word for it uh going up against something really powerful and just trying to verify the research he's been doing to to get information (laughs) as he's in the middle of combat yeah um it's very fun yeah it's so fun and yeah we really get a a, like crafty scrappy vibe from johannes throughout this like Mm -hmm. he is just a fun character to follow which makes it all the more sad the way this ends up um at the end of this chapter uh he 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 set up kind of a huge array of tricks and and tools that he can use and he just kind of throws them at Faisal and starts measuring what slows him down what doesn't he i love the one where he shoots him with what seems to be like a demon bound in a bullet or something bound <laughs> in a bullet like it's just so weird and awesome i love it yeah um i'm not making any supernatural references here so <laughs> okay good on me yeah um <laughs> but uh yeah no definitely like uh johannes comes across as so capable and and crafty like he he thinks on his feet but he's doing the research i think uh my live read for this chapter basically for, for this section was me alternating between going oh classic blake ah oh, classic rose <laughs> um like he kind of feels like the best of both worlds like what rusty might have been before yeah. the split even yeah uh because he's he's just home alone this entire area from the seams of it uh and you can see why he would think that he's impressed Faisal here because it impressed me uh he and maybe he actually did impress Faisal I, I don't know maybe Faisal was actually like hmm, this is this guy is good I'm gonna use him for my plan hmm. um, it's an interesting thought the idea that he combines elements of Blake and Rose 
or Rusty, right? Especially when we consider that we know Johannes comes from a powerful family that he seems to want to get away from. Do you think that he could be a long lost <laughs> Thorburn? <laughs> um, and we don't find out who his family is, that... do we? No. There mm. was that missing Thorburn son. Like when I made my family tree, I can't remember what his name was. It was the elder, the one who was used as a barbatorum sacrifice. Yes. So, I mean, I mean no, if that happened but to you, could you'd be want that. to change the status quo, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's. I think he's too young to be to be that guy. But, mm. um, you know, like it could be his son or whatever. It, but it's not. So never mind. <laughs> um, but it, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought it was quite impressive that. Uh, like he goes up against you know Angel Moriarty like nine times. I I wonder yeah. if this did actually impress Faisal or not. I mean, it, either way, it didn't stop Faisal from just using him as a tool. But I wonder if Faisal saw him as a capable. Actually, no, we get confirmation at the end that Faisal actually agrees that he's pretty competent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a a big thumbs up from Faisal, the human hater. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and and so the other thing I wanted to talk about here was uh when Johannes first shoots uh Faisal with the bullet, uh Faisal sort of tells him uh it's not going to work because bullets change. They affect structure even if that is tearing down blood, muscle and bone. Uh and and basically telling him that it doesn't destroy, it only changes. Mm. And this is interesting because basically Faisal says you can't kill an angel through change. Um so assuming this is true, it's going to present an in- interesting predicament for our team if if Johannes manages to get this information out because I don't know of anything that destroys except for a demon and uh mm. not not using demons has kind of been a thing for Blake. Yeah. Uh where he can. So I don't know, I think I think uh in in terms of operation takedown Faisal, I think that might be an interesting ethical dilemma they start to run into. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, there are demons around, obviously, but they don't want to <laughs> yeah. make that choice. No, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Johannes keeps keeps running away from Faisal uh, until they've had nine skirmishes, um, and on the ninth, it uh, changes. Yeah, so the old triple-triple. Uh, and, yep. I mean, on the second raid, I couldn't help but think, now that we know what a master schemer Faisal is... Do you reckon he intentionally let it be nine times before he stopped trying to interrupt him? Uh, <laughs> because he knew Johannes wouldn't hesitate on the familiar offer after nine times. Like, that's that's sort of becoming my head canon. Yeah, possibly. It's hard to know exactly what Faisal was thinking. Um, that's true. But yeah, we, we get this little section where Johannes basically just thinks about himself for a little bit after this ninth skirmish. Um, mm. And it... it, it, it it seems to be here to give us more information on Johannes's character, kind of telling us about yeah. how he used to be a Thorburn, but he's kind of rejected them now, um, in my head at least. Uh, he hates the <laughs> status quo, and it, crazily, he's only 15, which was a big surprise to me when I found out that at this point, uh, Johannes is 15, which means he must be like like Blake's age, right? Isn't he in his early 20s? Yeah, I think yeah, he's just I guess. meant to be in his early 20s in the story. It just story. never landed for me that he's in his early 20s until Although this he's, point. It, he's so powerful, and because of all his like, missing limbs and eyes and stuff, he, he probably moves slower, so he probably feels older just in the way he moves and responds to stuff. Like I think that's why it's easy to forget that he's not 25. Yeah. Or so that he is 25. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, my only issue with this section is that it's not a whole series of chapters. Um, <laughs> like, you know... I, 
I know that's not a reasonable expectation, but like it was just it was one of those things where we get little tidbits on Johannes, and I was like, oh, I know we don't need it, but fuck, I'd just love like a Johannes prequel story. I want it to be a you know, it's a story where each arc is Johannes dealing with an unruly other that's come to his nature park and is upsetting the other <laughs> guests. So he has to kind of trick them and outsmart them and deal with them and then get rid of them. Like, what a fun, what a fun series that would be. Yeah, yeah, we you know, weekly series on CBS with Johannes keeping his nature park safe. Yep. Uh, I'd watch it. Um, um yeah. But no, I think I think the really um interesting bit here for me as well is Johannes has come to the conclusion that the current practitioner system is super shit, which like I agree. Yep. Obviously. But his solution as he sort of says as he starts the domain ritual is uh, he wants to go back to the good old days. And again, that sort of comes full circle on a lot of what we've been talking about uh, in the story recently. Uh, and, and so, you know, he basically, he, he's been hurt by the system and he's decided that the old system must have been better despite not having seen it. And mm. then this very rich, sorry, powerful guy uh, who knows <laughs> all about the good old days has come uh, and, and, you know, actually knows what the good old days mean for humanity and agrees to help him. Yeah. Um, a trap. The good old days are never better. <laughs> yeah, Hannes, the classic trap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, something that you pointed out in your live read that I really liked was just how similar Johannes and Blake seem over the course of this chapter. And I think that's the other thing that this shortest little snippet gets across. Like, yeah, they they use blood magic. They have vestiges. They're scrappy. They do skirmishing. They obviously have disdain for kind of family bloodlines. They really are basically the same. <laughs> Yeah, and, and of course that isn't the vibe we've gotten from Johannes at all because he's managed to get the domain, and so he hasn't had to he hasn't had to scrap or anything since then. And so it's going to be yeah. super interesting to track this going forward because uh, Faisal basically implies at the end of the chapter, like you know, Johannes hasn't lost that spark; he just hasn't had to use it. Yeah, and it, it actually concerns Faisal. Yes, not worries; he doesn't feel worry, but, <laughs> but sort of you know, it's something Faisal's watching. So. I can't wait to sort of see how the two play off each other now that Johannes uh, can't hold his awesome power over them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Johannes uh, is able to start his ritual before Faisal can stop him. Faisal appears, oh, just too late. Gosh darn it. Uh, so <laughs> Faisal is uh, kind of impressed by the way he makes his declarations for his domain, and they decide to talk in between the challenges that come to challenge him for the domain. Um, and so, of course, continuing my thread of Faisal has planned everything that's going on here. Um, I, one of the things Johannes points out as he's starting these fights is like, oh, fuck, I've used like all of my stuff on Faisal yeah. already. And, you know, so he obviously gets pretty fucked up uh, defending like the few things he has to defend against. And I'm kind of convinced that, again, this may have been uh, Faisal's plan all along. Like, I, I think Faisal did the wait for the nine times, and I think he also tried to make sure Johannes used as much of what he had on hand as possible during those nine times. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty good, like, you kind of don't see how it all plays together so perfectly to set Johannes up until you read it a second time and you're like, yeah, well, hold definitely. on, this seems too convenient that it went down this way. <laughs> yeah, the... A lot of these things are things I came up with on the second read through. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, we get the reveal of how Johannes has claimed such a huge domain here as well. Oh my god. And it's the simplest goddamn trick. It's just like a classic practitioner play on words. <laughs> it's such, it's so great. I love it. It's so, it, like, simple and clever. It's fantastic. I mean, it takes me back to in 4.1 where Blake was being driven by the lawyer guy and Blake was like, oh, how are you communicating with these people? What magic are you using? The guy just turned mm. and he had a Bluetooth headset on. Yeah. That's pretty much what I've been doing with Johannes' domain. I've had all these theories about the abyss helping him out and, and all sorts of other things throughout the story. And it's like, no, he just changed the contract a bit and used some speakers. Like he's just using pretty simple human tech. Uh, like it's just... It's such, it's so good. Like, and, and of course, like, no, you know, obviously Faisal promises him to silence, but it almost is like, you wouldn't want to tell people this because it's so simple. Not only are they going to be able to repeat it, but it also takes away from the mystery of it. Like, cause yeah. you can imagine for other people, they'd just be like, oh, that's, that's all you did. Whereas like, you know, for us, it's like, holy shit, that's all he did. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it's so good as well, because we've had the point driven home how behind the time spirits and others in general are right like yeah how yeah. much they just don't understand newfangled things and even you know if this was let's say 10 years ago when he claimed his domain it's the technology would still be so new that saying <laughs> i claim where my voice touches to the spirits like if they thought your voice was touching that huge of an area they'd be like whoa he must be like magically amplifying his voice <laughs> like of course they wouldn't put it together or they may, like, I, I'd more see it as the spirits just not sort of really caring that voices through speakers are different at, at this stage. Yeah. Like, they just, they all treat it as the same thing. And he talks, he talks a bit later about how he had to have the quality good enough. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's such a fun reveal. Like, I, I, I'm assuming I wasn't the only one who had all these theories about how it was working that was so grandiose. And it's like, no, he just wired some speakers together and used Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, classic, classic plays. Again, makes me really love Johannes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he survived his challenges, although he lost a few body parts. And um, over the course of their conversations, he seems to have convinced Faisal that his cause is noble enough. Seems to, anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I think it's pretty ambiguous uh, whether Faisal had actually planned to betray Johannes. And I like the way that that unfolds. It kind of, it almost humanizes Faisal a bit as like he, he you know, if the chapter ended without the final bit or without what Faisal does later, I guess, um, mm. you kind of see it as a story of an angel who starts out with disdain for humans, kind of learning to appreciate their ingenuity and craftiness. But of course, no, he's just, <laughs> he was planning to betray Faisal, uh, Johannes the whole time. Yeah, well, I definitely, like, I think in my live read, it was at this point that I was sort of like, so, was this Faisal's plan from the beginning or not? Because I definitely read, like, the the journey Faisal basically carries Johannes on worked on me too. And then you get the end where you confirm it was the plan all along. And then on the second read through, you can just see how, how Faisal's kind of playing us. Um, it's It's very good. And I mean, I think that's a huge part of why the chapter starts with Faisal to kind of establish him for us. Then we move into all this Johannes stuff. And then the, the end of the chapter comes back to hit us with just no, like there was no emotion. He didn't convince Faisal and Faisal's like slipping back into old habits. It's just Faisal saw this as a way to get what he wanted kind of the whole time. This was always the plan, at least since they signed on as familiars. Yep. Johannes, Johannes was just a means to power. Um you know, there was nothing, there was nothing there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 
What a jerk. We jump back to the <laughs> present and Faisal watches Johannes land in the abyss down below and then Faisal uh, possessions him. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's no emotion, there's there's no care. Like, it's just, this was all just, it's just steps. It's just, Faisal has a checklist, yep. there's no emotion involved. <laughs> He's um, just following it, his path really to victory. Of, <laughs> exactly. Um, we just really go back to this, to end the chapter on this sense of just, Faisal's planned this all along. He has no emotions. This is just the job that needs to be done. You're not going to be able to change his mind. Off we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's the end of Sine Die. Uh, <laughs> oh, it makes me sad because the chapter ends with Faisal possessing Johannes, which, I mean, I like yeah. scrappy Johannes, but it seems that his time is running out. I mean, it doesn't seem, though, like it's possession in the complete sense yet. Um, like the way Faisal phrases it as Johannes accepts, uh, the order kind of makes mm. it seem like Johannes is, can still fight back and make it difficult. Yes. At least, at least for now. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously some, something I don't think we ever talked about on the podcast though, though was like, as we were getting started in Arc 14, I saw that chapter, fi- oh, so the Arc 15 was called Possession. And my original concern was that Blake was just going to run out of body and in Arc 15 he would be possessing other people. Um, and I mean, I guess that could still happen, but that's not <laughs> even in my like top five list of concerns right now. Before that was like, oh no, poor Blake. Now I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, well, even if Blake's possessing other people, we've still got to deal with Barbatorum and Faisal and the Abyss. Like it's just, it's such a clusterfuck right now. Yes, uh, indeed it is. <laughs> um, but that's the end of Sine Die. So now that we've reached the end of this arc, let's take a look back and examine some of the things that happened this arc and some of the themes throughout it. Um, and let's start with the name of the arc. And I, I, this one, I think, was the most literal <laughs> to me, like the most single <laughs> meaning, which is just, it's, it seems to be re- referring to the fact that the day was stalled you know sin ada means to delay a legal proceeding without appointing a date to to reconvene um but it literally translates to you know without day without a day um which is exactly mm. what happens yeah i agree this one's this one's tough um I, I i came up with a few that are kind of reaching like how mara's death was without a appointed date until blake changed that or yeah um yeah i don't know the angels have because because it's it, it's usually used right synodia in terms of like an adjournment like you you put something on hold without yep. a date and obviously that's what the angels have done where they're creating um again like i've got others that are even more far-reaching than those two so um i i agree i i sort of struggled to see any extra extra meanings in this one that were sort of super um strong yeah um but let's talk about some of the themes and connections what are the things you really liked about this arc elliot yeah, I mean, I think the 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 big reason that this arc was super important to me is because Blake finally managed to start self-reflecting. Yeah. Uh, like, we open the arc with the stuff with Rose and Alistair, where Alistair helps them calm down a bit and, and establish this dynamic where they're going to share people. Yeah. Uh, and then he obviously gets the wings, and there's that moment where he fights the Abyss and says, no, like, fuck you, I want it this way, and you can't even take my flesh. Uh, which is a line he has not drawn very often in the past. <laughs> um, he then defeats Mara without killing her, like arguably in a crueler way, but like I think I, I think it's a, a nicer one. Um, 
and, and he thinks numerous times spread throughout the whole arc about how he can't keep going the way he's been going the last 13 arcs. Uh, and then we sort of finish the arc at the end with him listening to, to Mara, of all people, and taking a step back and thinking with his head, not his heart, which is like just something I wouldn't have been able to fathom him doing an arc ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think for me, this was the arc where Blake finally took some control of himself uh, and, and started to think on who and what he is. Yeah, it really felt quite cathartic as an audience member to have Blake finally start considering some of the stuff we've tried to get him to consider for a long time. Yes. <laughs> he finally starts taking some steps in the consider who you are, consider what you are, consider what you want to be, where you want to end up, mm. your relationship with Rose. Like, he finally starts to take some steps in the right direction on all of these things, which is nice. Yeah, like the ability to work with Rose and think with his head and not his heart at the end of the arc to me just symbolizes how much he's managed to turn it all around. Yeah. That is so unlike the Blake we saw in arc 13. It's it's such huge progress back in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then obviously, like I guess to, to piggyback off of that, like I think the other thing this arc does a lot of was um talking about the Blake and Rose dynamic. Yeah. Um, obviously as Blake was changing, so was so was their dynamic. We've we've had two really big instances. Well, we start off the arc with them agreeing to compromise and then from there the arc evolves to them uh Blake seeding and then them actually working together properly in that last chapter. And I, I don't know why this always feels like such a big deal to me, but watching Blake and Rose just tell the rest of the universe to get fucked when it tells them that their destiny is to be enemies and just to work together feels like so important yes um and, and even though it's just sort of a little thing between the two of them it's just like so much of this stuff recently has been about how you can't change the way things are and blake and rose at the moment um, are doing that on a on a micro scale um and yeah. that just feels so good yeah they're changing their patterns right any change to the system as a whole needs to start with the direct ways the system is influencing you, which for Blake and Rose is forcing them to be in this conflict. So it's good to see them starting to change that and hopefully that can spiral out. Yeah, and, and wait, that's just such a um, hard but small and, and good example of something that needs to be changed. And this yeah. is the, those two just saying, no, we're, we're not doing this shit. Yeah. So I, I, really, I really hope that keeps up over the next two arcs. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, I, I don't think this was a theme, or I don't know if it's right to call it a theme, but something this arc did a lot was it's the transition from, you know, the act two of the story to the final uh, showdown, right? Um, yeah. And so it yeah. felt like we, we visited a lot of old threads and uh, started to bring them all in together to, you know, expose a lot of them, especially in 1410, uh, and start closing off some yes. of the old questions in preparation for yeah the, the final battle i guess yeah I, you're right i think 148 and 1410 were the big ones for this where 1410 felt like it was bringing in everything the story had talked about into to one pointed thing towards Faisal, and then 148 obviously was that last quiet moment before the the storm um and, and i mean like i guess that ties into sort of the last thing i sort of had for this arc where we saw the shift from fighting the system as it is to also fighting the people who are trying to change it back to what it used to be. Mm. Um, I mean, we started with Mara, now we're obviously on Faisal. Even Johannes was in that camp a little bit, which is why Faisal teamed up with him. Um, but th those two both those two groups both represent this idea of the good old days being better, um, and like the you know the only way we can change things is to go back, um, which like I personally would argue is not any better. And I think even like before we get to Mara, 
the dragon and the giant that we fight of Johannes's yeah. represent that idea because they're such old school um you know fantasy creatures like yeah, i think it's perfectly setting us up to consider the olden days yeah they they really started transitioning us on there right because they are these <laughs> old school D style monsters yeah 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 um whew, so we're in the end game now huh elliot yeah i i can't wait it's gonna be i assume two arcs of telling faisal to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this chapter really did set him up as this kind of inevitable force, which is scary. I mean, you, I wonder how you even deal with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how do you defeat this, like, really powerful non-human thing that's partner didn't even die in a distracted driving accident, you know? Um, like, he's got no partners to, yeah, to that's true. taunt him with. You can't just bully it to suicide. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, old one weakness, the old weakness of uh, super powerful beings. <laughs> um, yeah, like, as I said, I feel like using a demon on him seems like the obvious thing, but has intense moral implications, so I'm yeah. very interested to see. Presumably that will cross the minds of everyone, so it'll be interesting to see the discussion around that. Um, that something you said earlier in the episode made me think dobbing him into the other angels is possibly a way to go, although I don't know how feasible that is. Like, I don't know mm. how they do that from the abyss. Um the only other thing I can think of is killing Johannes. If if you really want to take down Faisal, I wonder if killing Johannes is actually the way to go. Interesting. Do you think that will be enough to take care of him? No, no, that won't that won't kill Faisal and it won't stop what but it might like stop his plan. Like at that point, this is this is the best you can do, maybe, because um like the the domain powers them both, right? The and obviously gives them both like a pretty decent chunk of power. Yeah. And one of the things Johanna says in this chapter is that if he dies, he he seeds his domain. So killing Johannes presumably nerfs Faisal a fair bit, and maybe that would be enough to prevent him from continuing to sink the house or the rest of the town, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, it won't it won't stop him, but if it interrupts his plan, maybe that's enough for everyone not to die, and maybe he'll just go away. <laughs> or or if, if he's already let Barbatorum out, like, you know, bring him bring him onto the same level as everyone else in Barbatorum and hope Barbatorum goes for him first since he's an angel. I mean, yeah, fair enough. Although it seems from the way Faisal was speaking, he seemed to feel that Barbatorum would also align itself with him. Yeah, I I don't know about that. I kinda of got the impression his idea was just to let Barbatorum loose in the abyss and somehow the abyss will manage to get control of it, which is very interesting. Um, I mean, the Abyss mm. is obviously the other big agent of change that's existed in the story alongside humans. Like, maybe it was the primordial human, um, like, role in the universe. But apparently it combined demons as well, which makes it sound pretty powerful. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. <sighs> I guess we'll find out as we yeah. move into Arc 15. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to start to find out. I mean... This will be in the distant past by the time we release this, but I'm live reading it in about an hour, so <laughs> I uh, can't wait. Uh, if you want to find out where that live read is taking place, the answer is on our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast. Uh, yes, uh, you can also hit us up in the Reddit thread that will be linked in the show notes below. Uh, discussion questions will actually be starting back up next chapter, uh, which is very exciting. So in 15.1, we'll finally be getting back on the discussion question bandwagon. Uh, but yeah. you know, if if you if you if you really want to you know write something, and you can't wait till next chapter, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and and drop us a review. That'd be helpful. Yeah, 
Yeah, that would be helpful. Go do it. Um, something else. You made that sound so sinister. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know what happens when you leave a review. Um, something else you should do is leave us your thoughts on what you want to see for our 24-hour live stream finale spectacular all packed up. Uh, you can leave that in our discussion thread, which will be linked in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, if you head to our website, doofmedia.com, you can find out all the stuff about Deep Impact and all the other shows on the Doof Media Network. Uh, there's a book club tomorrow. It's it's the December book club, which those of you listening to this will be like, but what is January? And the answer to that is like weird weeks and, and holidays and stuff. So it's like right at the start of January. Um, so go go check it out. You you still got time to read the book. It's like in 24 hours. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So do that. Um, if you want to support all the great shows, including the book club and everything else on the Doof Media Network, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while you're there, swing by Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Yes. Now, before we wrap up, as a little bit of a special bonus to the people who pay attention to this outro bit, I have something else that I meant to ask you about, Elliot. It's a, it's a comment from CineDA uh, 14.10 that I want to get your thoughts on. Okay. You ready? Okay. So... Uh, it's a comment by a user called Sode Requiem, and this was a comment that I absolutely loved when I was first reading the story for the first time years and years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll just read out the comment. It goes, Guesses on which characters were originally a single person but have been retroactively treated as two because Barb's is about to divide them. Uh, which I think is an awesome comment, and it sets up this idea that potential <laughs> twins that we may have seen in the story were actually one character originally. So, Oh, God, yeah, so like... Uh... People have retconned that, like, Ellie and Peter. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're twins, right? Indeed. Um, or, no, sorry, Paige, yes, Paige, Paige and Peter. Peter. Um, I mean, they're definitely... God, they could fit that bill. Um, Do you know who else I really love? Uh, Andy and Andy Ava. Andy and Eva. Yeah. Yep, yep. God, um, you're right, there have been, been so many twins, there's, there's a bit of room for that. I mean, well, <laughs> fuck, where are Andy and Eva? We, well, actually, no, we haven't seen them since Eva just fucked off with yes. Andy's body, which is, yes. which is a fair call. Um. Yeah, right, and because obviously we we've talked so much about how all the all the twins in this story represent like you know very different pairs, warrior thinker type pairs, uh, mm-hmm. as Blake and Rose were, and we you know we just talked about that and how it reflected on Blake and Rose. But obviously, this is packed; it, it can be both. Um, that could be very fun. Mm. So that's just a fun comment that I wanted to read out because I absolutely loved it the first time I was going through the story. Yeah, I. I can't wait to see if any of those are true. It's going to be great if they are. And that's the end of our episode. So we'll see you next time for Possession 15.1 on Monday the 6th of January. And hey, Happy New Year, everybody. See ya. See ya.